Welcome to Rasa Stand, hosted by Flo. I give you history, political views, and current affairs to deal with La Raza. When I speak about the Raza, I'm talking about the brown, Spanish-speaking community. We are not monolithic. Therefore, you're going to hear a variety of different people speaking about different subjects. It is important to share our story. I'm the combination of book smart and street smart. And when I speak on something, I give you critical sources. Tune in. Cross the stand. Take a stand to understand. And we are live. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another session of Sessions with Flow. I am your host, Flow, of course. Uh, today, we're going to be covering a very important topic um, that a lot of folks have you know, been asking about or just wanting to hear about <clears throat> in, in regards to the podcast. I know the last couple of uh, episodes, they've been a little uh, less rasa specific or just, you know, towards our community or whatever, which I think they still are, but uh, this one is a little more specific to, to us. Um, so I definitely wanted to cover this because, you know, the argument of, you know, who, who, uh, really owns this land or land we call, we now call the U.S. Southwest. It has gone through many, many changes, you know, in the last, you know, 13,000 years, if you want to go that far back. Uh, so this is why I wanted to cover this topic. This specific um, session will give you a lot of history. If you're into history, uh, you're definitely going to be intrigued with some of the stuff I'm going to talk about. If you're not, then, you know, <laughs> uh, too bad. You know what I mean? But overall, it's 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 informative. And especially because, like I said, uh, a lot of people claim that this land belongs to, you know, to Native Americans. And some folks say that this land be really belongs to, you know, Chicanos and Chicanas, you know, and uh, you have, you know, uh, Minutemen and, you know, and, uh white supremacists who say that this land actually belongs to them, you know? So we're going to dive into all that, into all the details about the U.S. Southwest, the real history about it. I know that, you know, some of you probably have some background information to it, uh, but, you know, some stuff might be propaganda. Some stuff might be, you know, not the actual truth. There's some stuff missing. And that's why I wanted to cover this topic because, um, and again, everything that I'm going to say is going to be cited. So you'll have a chance to look at it yourself. And, you know, if you don't believe me or agree with me, go look at the sources. Uh, this is where I'm getting it from. Okay. Uh, so <clears throat> again, the land, right. That we now call the Southwest, right. We're first going to start with the past, right. Where it started. Okay. So when we're talking about the Southwest, we're talking about the states, uh, you know, there are in the Southwest, so California, right, Arizona, Nevada, Utah, uh, Colorado, Texas, you know, those states that today has a lot of Rasa living in them, right? A lot of uh, people from uh, the Spanish-speaking community reside in these states. So, uh, but has it always been this way? Has it always been, has our presence always been here? We're going to be talking about that in a minute. But before that, you know, obviously, before any European ever made, uh, you know, their presence known here uh, in this area we now call the Southwest, they belong to many, many, many native groups, right? Um, and I know that that the indigenistas uh, or people who are more with that philosophy, you know, are quick to say that this is native land, you know? But we're going to get into that in a second too, right? So just looking at California alone, California alone had about 70 different groups of native peoples, right? Different languages. So different nations, if you want to call them that, right? Uh, <clears throat> but in California, you know, it didn't really have any large settlements that, you know, compared to other native societies like, you know, in Mesoamerica or even in the Mississippi area or just other parts of, uh, of the Americas. You had mainly hunter-gatherers, right? Uh, you had small villages, obviously, right? You had some 
agricultural, you know, communities. But for the most part, they were not. They were hunter-gatherers. They moved with, you know, depending on the climate, depending on, uh, you know, what uh, the weather was like or whatever the situation. So just in California alone, I mean, you had so many different groups of Native peoples that the, you didn't have a California nation, a Native nation. <clears throat> Some of the, you know, significant ones, obviously, that I'm aware of are the, you know, the Tongva people here in Los Angeles. You know, uh, I was raised in Pacoima, and that is a Tongva you know, uh, word. <clears throat> and obviously the Chumash, you know, from uh, from the Malibu area as well. The Titavium, I think that's that's how you say it. Uh, but of course, the Spanish give them different names, right? But these are just some of the <clears throat> villages or just nations of people that lived in the region now we now know as, now know as uh, Los Angeles. But again, these, these communities were not huge. They were, you know, yes, they had people, they had villages, like I said, but they were not huge centers like you had in other parts of Mesoamerica, right? In Arizona, you had, you know, three major groups, one of them being the Navajo, of course, right? And in New Mexico, uh, it is, you know, believed that the oldest culture, right? That's really the mother culture of all native cultures, the, the, the Clovis, you know, people or Clovis culture, um, you know, this, it is believed that this is the oldest, uh, remains of native peoples there's, there's a debate right as to really when it is but if i'm correct it goes back to 13 uh you know thousand um years ago you know so um they've been here for a very very long time and again it is believed that that is one of the mother cultures of uh all native nations in uh in what we now call the southwest and really probably all the americas right uh and one of the major groups that really had a more well-developed society in the Southwest was, um, you know, the Pueblo peoples, right? Different groups uh, were, you know, they're called Pueblo for a reason because when the Spanish, you know, encountered them, they they noticed that, you know, the closest thing they could they could describe these areas were similar to pueblos that you know that they had encountered in different parts or maybe even in their own. You know countries or whatever you know but uh that was probably the the uh most well-developed society in the southwest the they had different names the anazazi right hopi uh all these different native groups existed in that area so they had you know a larger claim to the land than all the other native groups and i say that because you know, land ownership or just the way we look at land is, is totally different than, than the way Native peoples looked at it. Native peoples didn't really see, see themselves as owners of the land, but really being part of it. So um, that's another reason why you didn't really see nations, Native nations, you know, at least the hunter-gatherer nations fighting over territory as much as you would see Europeans or even uh, other more, uh, you know, uh, bigger societies in Mesoamerica, All right? Uh, and then you had the Comanche in Texas, you know, Comanche were, were a force. If so, if a uh, Comanche warrior, if you were here listening to this live, you know, uh, you'd be pretty, pretty proud of this. But the Comanches, uh, you know, they, they, were, they, were, they were a force, you know, uh, with uh, not just uh, Europeans, but really with all Native peoples. They, they uh, impose their wills, you know, their, their will. And then they, uh, you know, they even went as far as south as uh, present day Mexico, you know, so they... they they rated for the, excuse me, for the most part. And that's how they uh, got around, you know? But uh, yeah, I mean, this is, this is uh, the, you know, some of the, some of the groups that, that, uh, you know, existed in, in the, the Southwest. Of course, it's way more, and I'm not going to cover all those groups because there's not enough time for that. And I'm not doing a lesson on just Native Indigenous you know, uh, Southwest, but it, it, it is a point to make that they obviously were the first here, you know, uh, before anybody. Uh, but again, at the way that you looked at land was not the same the way Europeans look at land or, you know, even quote unquote colonized peoples. Uh, and that's going to play a major, major uh, role as to why uh, they were not able to fully control these areas, right? Uh, as far as all these settlements, you know, just, uh, in the Americas and, and specifically in the Southwest, uh, obviously the oldest would be, you know, and 
major settlements, right? Uh, what I be, the Hopi in the 1100s, right? Uh, so that'd be one of the oldest settlements in the Southwest. So way before any Europeans, you know, ever arrived on the scene. And then the second oldest settlement in the Southwest, that again, big settlement with a lot of people, uh, was Española, uh, and obviously settled by the Spanish in 1598 in what is now uh, New Mexico, right? Uh, and then uh, the Mexicans, you know, when, when they uh, took over the land uh, after gaining independence from Spain, uh, it would be Victoria in 1824. And if I'm correct, that's uh, in Texas, modern day Texas. And then uh, shortly after that, the Anglos came and in 1835, they uh, established Austin, Texas, right? So these are some of the oldest settlements uh, based on groups, right? So each group, uh, you know, has a claim to this land. Like I said, I mean, all of these groups claim that this is home to them, right? Uh, that they own the land. And again, we're going to look at, you know, what that really means in a second. Okay. So before I do that, I want to look at some of the comments. Uh, Lord Nemesis, always supporting. Thank you very much for coming in here, you know, supporting Sundays, best looking, sharp on me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you, you know, uh, and Fatemical Fisher, hey, it's been a minute, man. It's been a minute. I'm glad you're back in here. It's been a minute since you've been on the live. So you can learn a lot today about this, you know. All right. So uh, going back to, to settlements, right? So again, like I said, the native peoples of, of the uh, Southwest didn't really have large settlements. So when the Spanish arrived, you know, they saw a lot of land. They saw it as quote unquote empty. So uh, just like they, when they arrived in, in other parts of the Americas, even though they were more populated, they, you know, their, their goal was to, to uh, bring the faith of Christianity to these people, uh, to uh, take control of the area and exploit the population to, you know, bring riches back to Spain, obviously, right? Uh, and the majority of these people who came were, were uh, soldiers in the very beginning, right? So, for example, New Mexico which is the oldest, like I said, uh, settlement in the Southwest. They, uh, a lot of them were, were soldiers, you know, uh, who, who came and actually with native allies, right? Or, or maybe not allies, but people they captured in Mesoamerica. So you would actually see, uh, you know, Mexica or, you know, Mayan or just uh, Chichimeca natives with them, accompany, accompanying them uh, on these trips to dominate other native groups. That was very common, right? Once they were, they were conquered, they would use them to also dominate uh, other native peoples. Uh, so, you know, it could be people here in the Southwest who have ancestry uh, that uh, goes back to, to the Mexica people, but, you know, they, they came here, uh, you know, because they were told after they lost the battle, hey, you know, you're going to come with me and capture other people, you know. Uh, their goal was to jack everything, pretty much, you know, and the reason why is a lot of these Spanish men who came were, you know, you know that saying that Trump says, you know, when uh, Mexico doesn't, when Mexico exports their people, what was it? They don't bring their best. That's literally what Spain did. They, they had criminals, rapists, uh, you know, just some of the worst people that Spain could have brought over to, to the Americas were here. If you can imagine somebody releasing a bunch of prisoners from the United States and sending them to a foreign country and it's just saying, you know, these Americans are behaving in a horrific way. That's pretty much what you were dealing with, you know, with the Spanish. I mean, they had, uh, you know, for the most part, they didn't care about the people they were interacting with. And yes, you got your priests and you had, you know, uh, other people who were trying to pacify the situation or trying to, you know, convert the natives. But still, I mean, it was never done in a way where it was, you know, pretty. So a lot of, a lot of the soldiers who came uh, did that, right? But again, the land was not really settled. So you had a lot of areas that pretty much barren there there was there was people there but again if you walked around these areas you weren't going to see houses you weren't going to see temple platforms you weren't going to see uh you know big cities because the native peoples lived off the land but they didn't own it they didn't really feel like they owned it they they shared it with with other other natives as well they traded with other natives so uh the spanish when it did be, decide to settle these areas there really was not much opposition, you know, not always, I mean, obviously, right? Uh, but at the same time, yeah, they would, you know, call these areas whatever they would call them, but then you had a population of zero or or very, very little, right? 
And if you don't have, if you don't have uh, the resources to maintain a city or a village, I mean, your population isn't going to make it, right? So even when they, they established these cities or, or pueblos or villages, they had very little success in populating the areas because, like I said, uh, the Southwest is pretty rough. Anybody who's ever been to the Southwest, if you're not from the Southwest, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of it is, is desert. You know, even today, if you pass through it, you'll, you're going to see very, very, very little, you know, uh, big cities in this, in this area, you know. So, um, and you can imagine back then, you know, you're going horses and you're seeing nothing but desert for a long time. I mean, you know, eventually you're going to get tired. So the Spanish claimed, claimed, and this is a big thing, they claimed these areas for the, for the crown of Spain, but never really conquered the areas. They never really actually settled the areas with a lot of people. So, you know, the native peoples didn't even know that they were officially part of this new empire. They were so going about their ways, those who never really came in contact with them, with the Spanish. Uh, so, you know, the ones that did, like the, the, the Pueblo Indians, you know, some of them, you know, converted to Christianity, obviously, uh, in some cases through force, some cases, you know, they actually accepted the faith. It was not always true that they came and, you know, and, and slaughtered everybody. Uh, some of them did accept it, right? Because Catholicism, the way it spread, not just here in the Americas, but really all over the world, uh, they would adapt or they would adopt um, pagan uh, practices in order to convert the, the you know people they were trying to convert. So that was very common, right? That's why, you know, yesterday we were talking about, well, we weren't talking about anything, but yesterday was uh, Dia de la Virgen, right? De Guadalupe. That's one of the things that they use, right? There's a story about Juan Diego, Mexica man who, uh, you know, sees the Virgin Mary. You guys know the story. Anywho, uh, that was one of the ways to convert people. So that's that's what happened as well, right? So in, in those cities that you had that luck where native peoples were uh, converting to Catholicism or Christianity, whatever you want to call it, you would have bigger cities, right? Uh, and then California was probably... One of the regions where the Spanish had a little more success with establishing some kind of settlement with all the missions, they had 21 missions in, in total, but, uh, you know, you still, they still were not that very big, right? Uh, Los, Los Angeles and San Jose were probably the biggest areas, uh, you know, in California uh, at the time, excuse me. But uh, out of the 21 missions, I mean, eventually became cities or, you know, towns or whatever, but this is way after the Spanish came, right? And then once, once the Spanish, you know, claimed these areas, because they had a hard time, you know, colonizing the areas or actually conquering the areas, they would send people from the lower, lower castas, right? So mestizos, mulatos, even other natives from Mexico to go and settle these areas because they knew that, well, you know, we can sacrifice these people, right? They, they're already in a desperate situation. Most of them were never going to have a good life, you know, in New Spain. So if we send them farther north, if they make it, they make it. If they don't make it, well, it's just a bunch of pardos or just a bunch of, you know, mestizos or mulatos, you know, that who cares about them, right? So uh, as a matter of fact, we talked about this in, in a session two, I think, uh, where the majority of the uh, settlers or colonizers of Los Angeles were actually of, you know, mixed heritage. They were mestizos and mulatos for the most part. They were not Spanish people, right? They were not full-blooded Spaniards, right? So these people who came from the lower caste in New Spain were actually the, uh, you know, uh, the people who colonized this whole area, you know, burps, our mouth farts. <laughs> yep, I guess, yeah. You know, uh, that's a good way to put it. But anywho, um, so that that's what would happen, right? So these people who would come up here from the lower lower caste would come here, and then they would be attacked by some of the native peoples, or just they were not able to subdue them. In a lot of times, and if they did, they also treated them very poorly, right? Even so, you can imagine somebody who is mestizo, right, who's half Spanish, half native sees these people as less than themselves, right? So again, that, that's colonialism, that's, uh, you know, uh, colorism, that's uh, the caste system coming into play, how they saw themselves as, as more more uh, closer to whiteness than, 
than these individuals that they were colonizing. So you had that factor as well. Okay, so again, the Spanish never really conquered this area. They claimed it, right? They claimed it for, you know, since the 1500s, really. Uh, and really, they actually claimed, uh, you know, many parts, of not just the Southwest, but the South as well. You know, you had Alabama, parts of Florida, uh, even Mississippi. But again, they never really, they didn't have any settlements to, or any people actually colonizing the area. So they couldn't really claim the area and, and sustain it, right? And you, if you look at all European maps of colonial America, you see how the maps constantly change with France and the English. And even at sometimes the, the, the Russians were involved as well with this. So again, the Spanish, I'm gonna say this again, the Spanish claimed the area, but never fully conquered it, right? And this is gonna be a big factor, you know, uh, in the next couple of things that I'm gonna talk about. So eventually once uh, Mexico became independent from Spain in 1821, uh, they, you know, inherited this area as well, the, the Southwest, the parts that Spain had colonized or had claimed again, not really colonized, uh, as theirs as well, right? So on the maps, if you see old maps, as you see on the promo, you see a map of what is old Mexico. You have the Southwest as being part of it, right? But these were not states yet. You had Alta California, which was composed of California, you know, and Arizona and uh, New Mexico, um, you know, uh, Utah, Nevada. So these are all actually one big giant territory, but they weren't states. Um, and then you had obviously the, the, the Texas, you know, uh, territory as well. So the individuals who did manage to make something of themselves in these regions, you know, like Californios and Atejanos, uh, the ones who were able to actually um, exploit the land like the other Europeans, you know, they, they became pretty wealthy, right? So Californios would actually trade uh, with uh, Boston merchants, you know, so, so merchants from, from Boston would come all the way to, to Mexico and trade hides, right? Because, you know, the, the, the cows in California, I guess, you know, had a really good hide. That was their, 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 their product, right? So these people owned huge ranches here in California. Uh, in LA alone, you had a couple of ranches, right? So where I grew up, the San Fernando Valley was actually a ranch. La Cienega was a ranch. Um, I think San Pedro was another ranch. So these areas that have Spanish names in Los Angeles state to this, to this day were actually ranches back in the day that the Californios actually owned, right? So during this, this, this period of it, from 1821 all the way to 1848, uh, and before that, I mean, you know, those, because LA was settled in 1781 officially. Uh, by a number of indiv individuals. So from 1781 to 1848, uh, you had families who had were able to, you know, literally make something of themselves from the land. Because I mean, like I said, there was nothing here. I mean, again, settlements. Again, there was people here, obviously, but there was no big settlements. And, and LA is a very rough area to live in. Uh, you know, if it wasn't for the water that we steal from other parts of, uh, you know, North, Northern Cali or Central Cali, LA wouldn't be what it was today. It would still be a very small village, very small town, but that made it explode into a huge city, right? So that was another, another factor. Uh, the people who did live here were using the St. Gabriel River as a source, you know, um, and the LA River as well. If you ever come to LA, the LA River today is a terrible place to look at. You know, it's, it's full of concrete, not what it used to be, you know, back in the day, but that is what they did, the Californios were, uh, you know, we're doing that. Uh, and then uh, in Texas, you know, you had the Dejanos doing the same thing. As a matter of fact, you know, all, all these, the term, uh, you know, buckaroo, you know, uh, comes from vaquero, right? So uh, the Dejanos actually taught a lot of the Anglos and, and other, you know, uh, Europeans, you know, the, the ways of being a cowboy or a cowhand, right? So you had these areas that were settled, you know, like LA, you know, and San Antonio, right? uh santa fe that became pretty pretty big right so but not not the whole region though again that's, that's a that's a that's a misconception that the whole region was populated by a lot of a lot of people again it was not even after independence uh you know and even the the californios themselves and the hanos you know saw themselves as californios and the hanos before they were mexican and a big reason why this was even the case was because again one the term mexican was fairly new uh 
people were not calling themselves Mexican off the bat as soon as they became independent. You know, uh, for the most part, they were subjects to Spain. A lot of them, you know, still saw themselves as Spanish. As a matter of fact, you know, uh, Pio Pico's father, who was clearly of African descent, uh, you know, referred to himself as an Espanol. And they were able to reinvent themselves here in Los Angeles because, you know, back where they were living, they were clearly black or of native ancestry. And the way to move up in society was to identify as European or Spanish, right? Or, or Hispanic. Uh, so they never really saw themselves as Mexican, right? Uh, Mexico City was so far off from LA and from these regions that they, and they were self-sufficient, you know, that the government didn't provide anything for them. The crown didn't provide anything for them. They were literally living off the grid by themselves. So uh, Mexican was a term that they never, they never really embraced, or if they did, they they called themselves Mexicanos de otra banda, right? So they knew they were different than the rest of Mexico where it was a little more settled, right? Like Mexico City or just other big cities in Mexico, right? And again, this is going to play a huge factor into what's about to happen next, right? So for the longest, uh, you know, Spanish people, the, the Spanish government, the Spanish crown wanted people to settle the area, right? Yes, it was called Nueva España, yes. Uh, to settle this area that you know we now know as the Southwest. However, again, it was hard. Even those who, who did come, very, very few individuals were successful. Most of them died, didn't make it right. So the other plan was to allow uh, Anglo-Americans to come from the East and actually settle the area. So in, in, uh, in Texas, that was the case. The land was cheap. Uh, Anglos were allowed to come. It was perfect for farming. Uh, and a lot of the Anglos that were coming were coming from the South and were bringing their slaves with them. So it was perfect. If you had slaves and you had, you know, small plantations, you had a chance to have a bigger plantation and grow your slaves, you know, and just grow as a, as a, as a businessman back in the day, right? So it was a win-win for them. You had settlers. The deal was you're going to convert to Catholicism. You're going to become a Mexican citizen and just follow the rules, you know? And a lot of them did for the most part. Most, most, most of the early arrivals actually did do that. They were converting to, uh, you know, Mexican culture or, or Tejano culture for the, for, for the most part, you know? Um, and and uh, the only region that didn't really have that was, uh, you know, New Mexico. New Mexico was predominantly, you know, Hispanic, you know, and I, and I say Hispanic because even the people there will identify as Hispano, you know, before they identify as, as Mexican or even New Mexican. They call themselves Hispanos. A lot of them tie uh, their roots to the first original settlers of uh, New Mexico. And like I said, a lot of them were conquistadores. A lot of them, a lot of them were uh, Spanish soldiers. So they, they, even if they're not, they, they, they tie their roots to that. I mean, the majority of them actually are very mixed, but they uh, identify with the term Hispano before they identify with the term Mexican. So again, these regions that were part of the Spanish empire and eventually the Mexican empire and Mexican Republic didn't really see themselves as Mexican, right? The three regions that I just talked about today. And it, again, it played a huge role, right? So eventually, uh, long story short, uh, Mexico or the Mexican government decides that, you know, the immigration from, from the East is actually affecting uh, Texas because Texas was becoming predominantly white or American, you know, or Anglo-American. And that was a problem, right? It's kind of ironic because, you know, today we have areas in the United States that are becoming predominantly Latino or Mexican or Hispanic, whatever you want to call it. And we're going to talk about that in a minute as well. That's going to be the future, right? So again, um, that, is, that is what started happening in Texas, right? So, so immediately the government uh, began to regret the decision to let these individuals come in so the first thing he did is to try to ban them from coming into uh, uh, Texas was outlaw slavery, right? Because Mexico still had slaves as well. Uh, believe it or not, Mexico had slavery as well, just like the U.S. It was just a little different. They allowed it before everybody else, though. Uh, and when this happened, obviously, a lot of the settlers who were there did not take it well. Uh, they broke the law, continued to practice slavery, continued to bring in more slaves. Uh, and this is, became a problem. And in Mexico, uh, at the same time, when Mexico first became independent, you had 
uh, an empire, right? Because most people were so used to being ruled by a king that it was almost impossible for them to see themselves as being ruled by a president or just some kind of democracy. So they, they appointed uh, an emperor, Agustin de Iturbide. And then shortly after that, he was removed. You had, I think, about 16 different uh, governments or just you know people in government going back and forth. So it was immediate instability in Mexico off the bat. That didn't help the situation, right? So it was liberals versus conservatives off the bat. Eventually, uh, when this was going on, Antonio Lopez de Santana was, became the president. He was more of a conservative and he took a more of a, an authoritarian uh, style and you know, was willing to punish those in Texas who were not listening to, uh, to the rules, right? But Texas was not the only place that actually revolted. It was actually a number of states in Mexico that were revolting against the country, right? So when it first started to happen, it wasn't like, okay, the U.S. is taking over the area. It was just something that was happening all over, all over the country. So if you, if you look at it that way, that's really what was going on. That didn't help the situation, you know? Uh, so eventually, obviously, you know, Mexico loses Texas during the uh, Texas Revolution, and that causes problems, right? Uh, for, the, for the first 10 years, Texas is actually a country by itself, and the border between Texas and Mexico is not established uh, until, you know, the, uh, I think, 1840s, 1845 or 46. Uh, there is a dispute with the area. James K. Polk sends uh, people over the river. Uh, Mexico sees it as, a, as, a, as an attack. They fire, and then the United States declares war in Mexico. Long story short, the region that we now know as the Southwest is officially conquered by uh, the United States government, the United States Army. Not just the Southwest. The, the, the U.S. actually went all the way down to Mexico City and they actually captured the city as well. So the U.S. had a very good opportunity to not just conquer the Southwest, but the entire country. Now, if you can imagine what would have, that would have done to everybody living in Mexico, it would have changed the culture. You know, probably most of us wouldn't be speaking Spanish or maybe very little, right? Maybe we wouldn't even have to move to what is not the Southwest. But anywho, the U.S., decided not to, not because they were friendly or because they were nice, but they said there was way too many people to try to manage them. And the Southwest was less populated. So they said, you know what? We can take over this area and, uh, and actually control it, right? The problem was you already had people here. Like I said, even though it was not as populated, you already had people who were very successful. You still had Native nations who had not been subdued by the Spanish or the Mexican government. So the Anglos you know, had that problem. Uh, but off the bat, they began to create more towns, especially, you know, uh, San Francisco, excuse me, exploded after the gold rush. And California became a state immediately, you know, right after that happened, right? So uh, California, for the most part, became a very white state early on, you know, as soon as uh, it became part of the, the Anglo-American empire. Uh, Texas as well, the most part, most, most of Texas, that's, that's what happened, except in those regions that are, you know, more uh, Mexican or, uh, you know, Tejano, whatever you want to call it. New Mexico was the exception. New Mexico, again, had a very large, uh, you know, Hispano population. Uh, and the reason why they actually did not receive statehood until very late was because the, the government was afraid that this region would actually revolt or, um, you know, uh, have a lot of power because, again, there were way too many people that they could not control. Uh, and in California, all the people who own land, Californios, uh, lost their land due to squatting. So uh, the uh, American uh, settlers or colonizers, or what do you want to call them, came to these regions. They literally just set up shop in one of the ranches, you know, and, and the Californios would, you know, would try to fight it off. But when they would take these issues to court, they were told, well, where's your land grant? 
And the land grants they were talking about were the land grants from the uh, Britannic English you know, system, not the Spanish Mexican system. So they would show them pictures of uh, what they own and they're like, well, this is not legitimate. So therefore you can't really claim it. And that's how a lot of them lost their land. And also uh, those who actually won their cases also lost their land because the fees to pay the lawyers were just so expensive that they were able, not able to keep their land. So they sold their land to pay off the, the, the lawyers, which was ironic, you know? You had, you know, rebellions here and there, but for the most part, they were stopped. So it was not until the Anglos that when the Anglos came to the region, more cities began to began to you know spring up. Uh, and this is where you really see the, the decimation of the native population. Uh, one, obviously, you know, the diseases that Europeans, you know, would bring to these regions, that was the first thing. And also just the way the English and just the Anglos treated the native populations was way different than the way the Spanish uh, did. The English wanted nothing to do with them, right? The, the uh, Anglo-Americans wanted nothing to do with them. They were in the way. That's the way they saw the native peoples. The Spanish didn't see them as equals, but they at least tried to, you know, Christianize them or try to get them to assimilate so they could be part of the society. But obviously, again, not all the native peoples accepted. So uh, you saw more native nations become uh, destroyed or or just be put in reservations when the Anglos came and took over. Uh, and here in California, specifically in LA, it happened, you know, way, way, way faster. It happened, the decimation of native peoples was way more uh, during that period than, than the entire Spanish and Mexican period. So like I said, uh, the Anglo way of thinking uh, when it comes to land ownership is way different than the way uh, natives and even uh, the Spanish, you know, saw the areas, right? So again, you, you started to see that. And, and uh, this is what happened to these areas. So the, the Anglos were really the, the only true people who actually ac conquered these regions. And what I mean by that is that they actually settled, settled the areas. They, you know, decimated the populations. They, in some cases, replaced them, right? Excuse me. And created their own towns and you know, and in cities, you know, uh, that were not there before and what they saw as a barren, barren area. Right. So, um, and that's why a lot of them say, well, you know, yes, the Spanish claimed it and the Mexicans, you know, obviously got it because of the Spanish and the natives never really owned the land. Therefore we're the first ones to truly exploit and, and conquer the land. That is why they make that argument. From a European perspective, they're correct. Uh, but if you're using a different philosophy, then I mean, they're not, you know. But anywho, uh, to this day, since 1848, they've been, the individuals have been here since. Uh, you know, we live under their system, uh, their rules, their government, right? And, and a lot of people reject it because obviously because of the history, right? It wasn't pretty, especially Native peoples, especially uh, those who... Uh, uh, Mexican descent, or or even you know Hispanic descent, uh, and even those who uh, you know immigrated to this area later, right? That didn't have any real uh, connections to this area other than you know the land was claimed by Mexico and by the Spanish. But even they then say that this is a land, right? So to me, that's also really interesting. So obviously. Uh, you know, uh, after that, beginning in the 20th century, because again, it's really ironic that these areas that were claimed by the, by the Mexicans and by the Spanish, they didn't really have a large Mexican and Spanish population until after the Anglos, you know, took over the area. And, and one of the, one was obviously the gold rush. That was one of the things that caused major migration from this area to uh, the uh, Mexican revolution was a major factor too. The Mexican Revolution brought about way, way more people, you know, uh, than um, what do you call it? Um, any other migration before that, people were trying to escape war, so they settled in these areas that already had a Mexican population, a Mexican history, 
So this is where you begin to see your first waves. And again, crossing the border back then, it was way different. It was way easier, right? There was no walls. There was no fences. There was no INS, no Minuteman, no uh, ICE, you know, uh, stopping people from doing that. And then you had obviously the, uh, you know, depression, people were kicked out, even uh, Mexican Americans were, were kicked out from the, the region. So again, even more people uh, began to claim areas that, you know, historically belonged to uh, Mexican Americans and, and uh, you know, Californios, you know, uh, or just Tejanos or, or Hispanos, no Mexicanos. Uh, so that happened as well. And then you had the Bracero program in the 40s. As a matter of fact, uh, one of my grandfathers was a Bracero. He came here in the 60s. I think, I think that's when it kind of stopped. Uh, but he, he uh, went through that whole thing, right? So again, that also encouraged immigration to, to the U.S. Uh, and then you had the, the civil wars in Central America. And right after the, the, right after the Chicano movement, because the Chicano movement was really the, the, the time where you know, Rasa here in this region began to make the connections to, you know, well, this was, has always been Mexican land, you know, this has always been, you know, native land. Therefore, we have the, uh, the right to claim this land. And my counter argument to that is, yes, a lot of, a lot of people came here from, you know, northern Mexico or northern New Spain at the time and, and uh, whatnot. But again, they never really fully claimed it or actually owned it, right? They claimed it, but never really, only in specific areas. And again, I'm not denying that, but the whole region uh, historically they did not do that. And you, if you look at, at the settlements, again, you're not going to find too many all over the region. So to claim the entire Southwest as being a Chicano nation, I think is, is, uh, is not correct, right? Yes, it was, it was, again, claimed by these, these two regions, but sorry, these two, uh, you know, nations or countries or whatever, but they never really fully conquered it and never fully owned it. And again, and if you want to make the argument that the native peoples were, were there first, yes, you know, so you, it would actually belong to them. But then again, they didn't see land as, as the way, you know, other people do. So uh, the ones who truly conquered it were the Anglo-Americans, right? But again, uh, what does that look like today? Right, because all of these all of these uh, waves of immigration have changed these cities, have changed the Southwest. Right, it's no longer just Mexican people who are here. You have people from Central America. Yes, the majority are Mexican still, or Mexican descent, or identify as Mexican, Chicano. Right, uh, but you know, even those terms, even Chicano, is a term that's slowly dying. I think, and very few people are using it that I know of. I mean, other than the people who follow me or I follow or just I know uh, are really into history, most people who, who are not aware of their history do not use the term Chicano uh, or there's a new term called Chicanx, which I don't use as well. Uh, but uh, that term is slowly dying. And it's, be, and it's because of this immigration, this constant immigration from different countries that are not Mexican, right? So you have that dynamic factor as well. Uh, that plays a role into, into uh, you know, what we are. So again, I'm going to go and look at the comments right now. I know I've been talking a lot for a long, long time. Uh, more stuff to come. Yes, Mestizos are new people to existence and only ones who were great in America because so-called natives. That's a very good point. Very good point. Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> it was Nova España before it was Mexico. Yes, it was, you know. All right. So uh, I'm going to look into, into a couple of stats where we were talking about identity, right? What does it look like today, right? Today, today in the present. Okay. So let me go and share my screen uh, with this one right here. Um, you can see a couple of statistics. Okay. Boom. All right. So uh, in 2019, uh, we surpassed 60 million, right? So when we're talking about Hispanic people, we're talking about those who identify as Mexican, Central American, Mexican American, right? Again, Hispanic is not a term that a lot of people, you know, uh, prefer to use, but, you know, in this case, to group all these people together, that's that's the term that they use, as you can see from 1970 all the way to 2019, a huge gap, you know, like my boy uh, Brown would say, you know, Latinos be fucking, right? <laughs> I guess that's a uh, 
that is a uh, you know another way to put it you know but uh yeah you know we're, we're definitely uh, the highest uh, minority group in what is now the southwest and really all over the u.s you know uh and we're 18 percent of the population yes so again as you can see down here but with that said though i mean from 2015 to 2019 uh there was a sorry 2010 to 2020 uh 19 there was a there was a decline in uh you know growth but it's still growing though still growing if you look at some of the some of the areas in the u.s obviously the the west or the southwest has a has 14 percent you know three million people uh the midwest actually saw you know a big increase and then the south actually which is where my boy that you're gonna marketer resides saw a 26% increase, you know, uh, so Raza is actually going to places that we weren't even before, right? Uh, before we were just in the Southwest. Now we're going to different places, right? The Midwest, you got Chicago, obviously, right? And even the Northeast, right? Areas, again, these are not just Mexicans. These are other Latinos, right? Other people who speak Spanish or descend from people who speak Spanish, Okay. So this is a very, very good point to make. And again, uh, the areas that have the most uh, Latino population, LA County, right? As of 2019, 49%. So basically half of the city is Latino or Raza or, you know, Spanish speaking, Texas, you know, Harrison County. Uh, you have Florida, with, you know, with, with the Cubans, you have Maricopa, Arizona, right? 31%. Riverside, which is also out here, 50%. San Bernardino County as well, 54%, San Diego, 34%, so on and so forth. So these are the regions in, in the U.S. that have a significant uh, Latino Hispanic population, right? So, uh, and these are, you know, areas that historically have always had a large Latino population, and even more so, again, after, uh, you know, Anglo, uh, the Anglo conquest of the Southwest. Okay, so again, very, very, uh, you know, thing to important thing to notice. Okay, uh, and if you look at this map over here, right? So now we're looking at the future because we talked about the past. We're talking, we're talking about the present. So what is it going to look like, right, in the next fifty years? Right? Are we going to be the dominant group? Most people think that we are. You know, we're going to be the most dominant group, minority group, in the uh, United States. And if you look at this map right here, right, these are the regions that that uh, are predominantly Latino. The light blue right here, right. So this is a hypothetical map of if the U.S. was actually you know divided into different nations. If if the Aslanistas or those who want to divide from uh, what we now call the U.S. would have their way, this is what it would probably look like. And, and it's it's important to note that because again, this part here, right? What is still part of the Southwest again doesn't really have a large Latino population. Again, going back to what I told you earlier, it wasn't really settled by the Spanish or the Mexican people. Uh, but it, it's it's been you know settled by by Anglo's, you know, uh, that come from from the east, right? But obviously, LA County, you know, most of the border cities or border towns are predominantly, you know, Raza. You have some more here. Again, New Mexico, the majority of it actually is, you know, Raza. To me, I was really shocked that California wasn't a uh, majority. It's actually just the South, the Southern California. Most of it is, uh, you know, uh, something else, right? So if hypothetically, if uh, the U.S. would break into different nations. This is probably what it would look like, uh, you know, if this ever happened, uh, because this is where we have the most influence. So the vision of Aslan, uh, probably not going to happen anytime soon. And I say this because, again, one, Aslan is a Chicano concept. Uh, and I know that Chicano is a very, you know, uh, loaded term, and many people think it's different things. Uh, but the majority of people, again, don't identify with the term Chicano anymore. Maybe in the 60s they did, but today they don't. And it takes a lot to really embrace the term, you know, those who, who do embrace it. And, and even then, most who do embrace it probably do not believe in the concept of, of uh, breaking away from the U.S. It's, it's very, very minimal. And again, you have to factor that 
as a lot of folks who are not Chicano, um, who you know could be Spanish speaking, but don't identify with the term Chicano. So uh, I think what we can get probably is if this ever happened is a Spanish speaking nation, you know, as they call it here, Al Norte. Um, and again, this is hypothetical, right? So uh, just something to look at. Okay. Uh, let me see what else I was going to show you. Again, when it comes to identity, this, this plays a major factor as to why, again, people, this 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 uh, concept of trying to, you know, unify. And I gave up on this a long time ago. When I was younger, I wanted to unify our rasa and be like, you know what, we ought to get, get together. But uh, it's so hard to unify when we can't even unify with one term, you know, uh, one there's terms that were given to us by other people, by the government, by colonizers, uh, you know, even in, uh, in some cases, other movements, you know, intervene and, and, and make it part of their, their thing. Uh, but, you know, today, this article here, what it talks about is how these different terms are also generational, right? So Hispanic is, an, is the oldest term that, that they use to group all of these uh, people together. And, and the majority of people who identify with the term Hispanic are older people, right? As you can see here, you know, uh, it tells you what it means. I'm pretty sure you guys know what that is. If you don't, go look it up. This article is going to be posted. But again, um, this is the older folks, right? People probably in their 70s and 80s, uh, you know, identify with this with this term. Latino is probably those who, uh, you know, grew up in the 90s, uh, 2000s, you know. And then Latinx is the newest term, right, which I don't use at all, uh, is from the Gen Z generation, right? Again, incorporating the uh, LGBTQ uh, movement into, into this. So that also kind of crosses into that. And there's a lot of folks who are very conservative in the Latino community who don't embrace that as well. So that doesn't help the situation again, you know, when it comes to unifying under one nation, under one ideology, it's uh, very, very difficult if you can't even agree on a name, you know. <clears throat> and one more article that I wanted to share, right, again, uh, Chicano, right, Chicano was a term that, you know, uh, the origins of Chicano are very, very, uh, ambiguous some people think that they you know uh date back all the way to the mexica mexicano you know mexicano some people think that it was uh, actually a term that was used uh, against uh immigrants from the native community from native mexican community who came and worked on the fields and they, that was the term that they used for them as an insult uh, also uh it was used for those who were born here. They were not seen as, seen as real Mexicans or reporters, whatever. Anywho, the term, you know, was embraced by Zuzuters and eventually, you know, students and other activists in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, uh, maybe even up to the 90s. And then, you know, Cholos also embraced the term. So it's it's evolved, you know, it's evolved over the years. And today it's become Chicanx. Again, uh, Gen Z uh, has done that to it. Uh, but... Like I said, I don't know too many people who identify with the term anymore. It's very, very few. And if if they do, you know, uh, it's a lot of older folks who who uh, identify with the term Chicano. Uh, a lot of times when I come across individuals, young folks, they prefer the term Latinx, you know, uh, younger people, younger than me. Uh, so this this idea of, of having a Chicano nation, I think is just... Uh, you know, very, very, you know, wishful thinking, you know, one, because again, you're, it requires you to have the same ideology too. It requires you uh, to, uh, to get a buy-in from everybody, all, all of these uh, Spanish speaking people or descendants of Spanish speaking people to buy into it. And thirdly, you would have to fight against the strongest military in the world. And, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's very, very difficult right, to do that. And then another factor that that uh, that uh, I forgot to share is that, you know, a lot of the people who do identify with that term or who do, uh, you know, uh, talk about trying to bring back the land again, you know, to to uh, bring, it, bring it back full circle to that, 
to the Chicano Chicano people, uh, you know, there there is uh, what was I gonna say? Um, man, I lost my train of thought. Yeah, oh yeah, this is what I was gonna say. Um, most of those people who do identify with that or want to have a Chicano nation again are usually sons of immigrants or maybe sons and daughters of immigrants or you know uh, uh, second generation you know the parents were here or maybe in some cases Californios you know or Tejanos who've been here for for many many uh, generations but uh, the majority of them uh, actually don't and and it's actually been proven that after the third generation uh, you know assimilation uh, you know takes a role and and uh, they feel more Americanized right they actually feel more uh, of a connection to to the United States and I mean obviously you know uh, it it uh, makes sense because if you if you're born here and you grow up with Anglo-American you know uh, values and, and and culture you're gonna identify with that you know more than often even in these regions that are predominantly you know like Latino or Spanish speaking uh, and then in some cases, when you move out, you know, they, they eventually identify more as, as American. So again, you have to take that into consideration. If you are talking about bringing back a Chicano nation, uh, you got to play into that factor. There's a lot of Rasa out here that doesn't identify with Chicano. A lot of Rasa doesn't even identify with Latino or Hispanic. They identify as American. Uh, so, you know, it is something to, to, uh, to think about when it comes to, to, you know, getting the land back or, or fighting, fighting the system. Right. Again, that's my personal take on it. Uh, I gave up on that a long time ago. I know that I was more of an Aslanista back when I was younger, but you know, uh, at the end of the day, I think I've chosen more of the route of acculturation. I understand that, uh, you know, um, my parents immigrated to this country that is now occupied by Anglo-Americans and, you know, whether I like it or not, it is what it is. And, I got to make a choice. Do I have, do I identify or do I, you know, uh, uh, follow the rules of, you know, this, this current, uh, you know, what do you call it? Um, regime or whatever, or fight against it. And, you know, really having a hard time trying to succeed. Right. But with that said though, um, the Southwest and really, like I said, the, the whole United States is going to be eventually, you know, uh, predominantly Latino or, or non-white, at least. So we do have to also consider that, okay? Uh, but again, um, immigration will play a factor, right? If we continue to have immigration from, from uh, down South, then it's going to continue to affect uh, the... the uh, areas and if we don't have that then uh most of us or our descendants are going to assimilate uh into american society and that's why all the other immigrants who come from different regions one they came from all of them came from europe and didn't have to assimilate or sorry they had to assimilate because those regions didn't have a large uh, population from their home countries and here you have many places that are spanish-speaking so people don't have to assimilate for the most part unless they eventually move out. So we do have to consider that, that our, our uh, ethnic group is definitely one that is, you know, has a big influence on what is now the Southwest under Anglo-American control. And I understand why people want to have their own country and why they want to be uh, independent from, you know, the Anglo-American empire. But at the same time, if we cannot come up with any kind of unifying term unifying philosophy you know i mean people people can't stop can't stop calling each other coconuts or or vendidos you know and, and or gusanos or whatever you want to call these people how can we ever get to that right i think if if you really want to get to that for those of you who are watching this and really want to get to that my advice to you is that you need to unify with them first otherwise uh there is no there is there is no way that we're ever going to be able to have our own chicano nation or you know whatever you want to call it but anywho, I'm going to go in and read some of these comments. I hope those of you who, who tuned in from the very beginning, 
I know this is a very long lesson, uh, you know, but to answer the question, you know, uh, what does Islam really belong to? I would say that, it, you know, all of these different groups played an influence in, in uh, uh, you know, in the, in the settlements and, and the development of, of the Southwest. But as you saw, it's gone through different, different periods. And I think at, at some point, the Anglo period is going to end. Is it going to end tomorrow? Is it going to end in the next 20 years? I can't tell you. Is it even going to end in my lifetime? I don't know, but it's going to end. I mean, it's only a matter of time, especially, if, again, I think if, if we continue to see immigration from, from the South, I think probably it's going to happen, you know, sometime soon. But so if whether it's still under Anglo control or if it's something else, we you have to pay attention to the community. You have to incorporate them. Otherwise, you know, um, it, it's not going to benefit your country, you know, whatever you want to call it. All right. So I'm going to read some of these comments or if there's any questions. All right. Uh, I already read those. What's up, Aquana? That's crazy. Yeah. My suggestions, that's crazy. All right. Well, I'm from here. Where I'm from, there's a huge population of Mexican and Hispanic. Yep, I'm telling you, we're going everywhere, right? Uh, Mario Suarez was the first Chicano to use the term in the American literature. A lot of people still think it came about. Yeah, it wasn't during the it wasn't during the 60s and 70s. It definitely came before that. It was popularized in the 60s and 70s during the movement. But yes, it came before that as well. Thank you for saying that. No, I was not smoking weed. I don't smoke weed. I just I'm just getting old. That's what it is. You know. All right. Uh, if there's an American society left, times are getting pretty crazy. Yes, that is a good point to make. That's why I think that that map that uh, I showed you guys about the different uh, 11 nations in the Americas, I think that's probably more realistic where we do have some kind of division. It's going to happen that way. You know, uh, and we do live in a very, very strong, strong time and crazy time where, you know, mandates and vaccine and you know government overreach we have all that it's making people push back against the government you know but again uh we've never had a government like this where or a country or a nation where uh you know they could just wipe you out if you wanted to back in the day if you wanted to fight somebody you could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them but today unless you got a, a jet <laughs> unless you got a you know nuclear weapon you you stand no chance you know so way different. The Chinese or Russians are going to be running things by the time process. <laughs> you know what? That's probably true. See, that's, an, again, uh, that's something to consider too. And, and it's, it's a time where I think we should be unified, not just as Rasa, but really as a whole nation, because uh, the Chinese and Russians and not the people, not the people, the governments, right? Uh, you know, they will definitely take their opportunities, uh, you know, to do that. If I think, you know, uh, some folks praise the Chinese government because they're socialist or whatever, Marxist, and some, you know, push back against that too because of that, right? But anywho, it's 8.03. I've been here for an hour. I didn't think it was going to last this long, but it did. And I keep uh, farting from my mouth, like uh, Lord Nemesis said. But those of you who tuned in, again, thank you very much. This was a very uh, detailed lesson, and again, uh, I wanted to talk about this because, again, a lot of folks who are on my page, you know, constantly talk about Aslan and, you know, talk about Native, native uh, claims to the area, uh, but again, just wanted to give you the history of, of this whole area and, and, and how, it, how it started, you know, where it's at now, and why it is the way it is today. Uh, the the irony is that I would I believe personally that if the United States did not you know conquer this area, a lot of us wouldn't be here, right? Because the area probably still would probably would still be a lot like northern Mexico, very very uh, isolated from the rest of you know the country. So um, you know development comes with a price. Even in Mexico, and Mexico decided to develop. The nation, you know, it exploited a bunch of people. It killed a bunch of people. Uh, that's why you had a revolution in Mexico. But that's a whole different conversation. 
But uh, anywho, yep, China is uh, colonizing Africa right now. Exactly, right? Exactly. So you're going to have another colonizer, right? Uh, the U.S. is not the first or the last. As long as we're still here and we're still human beings, you know, we're going to have people colonizing areas, invading other areas uh, whenever you get a chance, you know. So anywho, like I said, if there's no more questions, uh, I did want to say this. Uh, this is going to be my last live uh, of the year uh, on YouTube, uh, simply because I will be taking a road trip, actually, across the Southwest. Uh, and I will be also probably heading towards, you know, Texas, uh, maybe even, you know, the South. So if anybody out here listening, I know uh, Chicana Marketer was here earlier you know, I might hit your town up, man. Uh, and Missouri, I might be in Missouri, you know, Juana, you know, I know you're out there. Uh, you know, um, so uh, I'm not going to be doing a live. I might do, uh, I might do a uh, IG live this week as well. But if I don't, then, you know, you're not going to see me for a minute, but I will be documenting my trip. Uh, through uh, the page. So if you want to keep up and see where I'm at, I'll be doing that. But on that note, again, I wanted to share this. This is a very, very important lesson with the fans, with the, with the followers, because I think it's really important to know about the history, especially if you're one of those people who want to go back and again, and uh, reclaim the area, right? Just think about what that really means. Okay. On that note, this is Flo. Again, if you have not followed the page on Instagram, go and follow it. It's rasa.stan. I'm also on TikTok. I don't do TikTok dances, but I'm on there too. You know, you, that's where I post my uh, my snippets of my YouTube, uh, you know, channel. And as well, um, yeah. So on that note, this is Flo, Rasa Stan. Take a stand. I don't want to die. Oh, no. Let my soul go. Ashen, commitment, and love.